Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, and welcome to Is It My ADHD, the podcast about what it really feels like to have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I'm Grace Timothy, and I'm a writer, and I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD until I was 37. I'd struggled with traits I now know to be ADHD all my life, but it wasn't until a routine hearing appointment with a doctor who happened to have ADHD himself that these traits were pieced together and it was suggested that I get referred for an assessment. Had it not been for that random moment with an audiologist, I'd still be undiagnosed now and still struggling, just like the two million women thought to have undiagnosed ADHD in the UK today. I want to better understand what ADHD feels like for women and non-binary people, in whom ADHD is so often missed, thanks to the fact that the diagnostic criteria and research is all heavily skewed to the white male case study. I've therefore spoken to some incredible women about how ADHD affects their lives, exploring everything from friendship and work to dating and self-esteem. I've also pulled in some experts along the way to help us tackle the big questions from you and from my guests. Is it my ADHD when I ghost old friends, for example? Is it my ADHD when I break the photocopier at work? And is it my ADHD when I share nudes on Instagram? My hope is that we can spread awareness of ADHD in women and non-binary people and that you'll find some comfort in knowing you're far from being alone. Because with the right support, we can be truly amazing. Today we're going to be talking about education and learning with Vivian Isabel. In an ideal world, your school is the first environment in which your ADHD is identified and that's done with enough time to make the necessary adaptations so that you can reach your full academic and creative potential as a kid. Sadly for girls, this isn't often the case. We know that girls present differently to boys and that the clinical picture is still skewed to that stereotype of a manic, distracted little boy who's bouncing off the walls. Girls, in fact, are far more likely to present as a daydreamer inattentive but rarely disruptive and as a result it can often go unnoticed. Of course there are also gender norms that hamper diagnosis too. Girls are more likely to mask to fit in with societal expectations that they be quiet, compliant and studious. 
My problems really began at eight, when I went from quite a chilled out primary school into a really academic, old-fashioned school, and I struggled just to survive the day. I responded to feeling weak and lost in so many areas by just doubling down on my homework, so that I was passing exams and seemingly doing well in some subjects, but at home I was suffering from OCD, anxiety and disordered eating. All of that at eight. I struggled especially with following instructions, anything maths-related and the rudiments of just sitting still and listening. But I was also aware of how bad all of that was and so fought every natural instinct just to be a good girl. In high school, things levelled out for a while and I coasted, but at university it became clear that I wasn't ready to level up at all and my work never matched up to my ambitions, no matter how hard I tried. Vivian Isabor is a force for good in the ADHD community and I was bowled over to hear that not only is she an activist, singer, songwriter, spoken word artist, poet and performer, but she's also a clinical associate in psychology trainee. She's back in school and just before we met for this podcast had aced a 5,000 word dissertation. She's also the founder and managing director of ADHD Babes, a supportive space for black women and non-binary people with ADHD. Vivian, welcome to Is It My ADHD? I'm so happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's so lovely to see your face after all this time as well. I've, I've just been following your singing on Instagram, been listening to you talking about ADHD, like watching your ADHD babes community grow. It's, it's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it's like you're, um, you're an Instagram friend and I was like, oh, you're moving. Like you're actually a real human. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice. Babe, I'm like sliding into your DMs. I'm like emailing you and I'm all over your LinkedIn. Like it's probably a bit much, but I like that we've got to this it. point. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Regular online friends. We need it. Yes. We actually need it. So you were diagnosed with ADHD in childhood? No. So I was actually diagnosed in my early 20s. Oh, okay. Which was really strange because it was after I finished my undergrad which during my undergrad they picked up my dyslexia and dyspraxia and they kind of queried like oh you might have but we're not too sure and then they just kind of kept it moving so wow yeah it was really strange that I got missed for so long so were you that was picked up by your your educators within your undergrad yeah so it was kind of well yeah flunking quite a few modules um and I remember someone I was working with part-time they asked why am I always late <laughs> and I was like oh you know I get lost and you know I got on the train the wrong direction and then oh this sounds like me maybe you've got dyspraxia it was then that kind of said you know check out your uni see if they do assessments and then from there they assessed the dyslexia and dyspraxia and then so was it during that assessment process that ADHD was raised yeah so she did and I think actually what the problem was is because she was an educational psychologist. So she said she couldn't diagnose me with ADHD, but she said that there's things she sees that are akin to that. But then she kind of just left it there. And I thought, I don't know what that even means. So I, <laughs> I didn't follow it up. <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's exactly the same as me. Like someone just went, I think you might have ADHD. And I was like, what? That's out of context. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, just let's move on. So as a child then how do you think looking back your ADHD affected your learning experience I think in primary school it was okay because you get to run around <laughs> you know you get to be silly you get to play fight like I was always playing football with the guys so I feel somehow I was kind of maintaining a level of balance by being super super active and that's allowed as a child and then when I got to secondary school, it was the same thing. Like I was on the netball team, basketball, football, rounders, athletics, like doing everything all the time. 
So I think in that sense, it didn't get in the way until maybe year nine when the emotional regulation stuff started to kick in and Mm. it just came across as, oh, she's angry. She's got anger management. Let's give her a psychologist. So I would have sessions to talk about my feelings. So, yeah, I think it mainly came through emotionally, like up to GCSE. And in your intro, like I really relate to that thing of higher education because it wasn't until college when it really started to kick in. And I was like, oh my gosh, why can't I concentrate? I just, I just couldn't. And I found it so bizarre. Like, I asked people, how, like, how do you revise? And then like, I go to the library and sit down. Mm. You can just tell yourself to sit down. Ooh, sorcery. <laughs> that was, yeah. Also <laughs> that you feel comfortable in that environment where it's silent and, you know, it's not really your space and you can't like change it or adapt it. It, it is what it is and it's shared. Oh my God, no. Yeah, please no. <laughs> but they could do it and I would literally go and sit around and I'd be looking like, what? Everyone is actually just looking down and doing their work. And I'm thinking, what am I going to eat today? Oh, my foot is itchy. I need to go to the toilet. Why can't I go to the toilet? It just, yeah, I think that's when I really started to notice the difference. And when I got my AS levels and they were really bad, just loads of very less letters far along the alphabet, I was like, oh, okay, I really do need some help here. Yeah, so I think that's when it kicked in. I think the thing is as well, though, is, you know, in any kind of educational setting, you're you're supported to an extent, right? And obviously that support gets less and less as you go up and then it's more self-directed. So I imagine like being diagnosed in childhood, you kind of, you're already aware and that's amazing, but you just, your self-esteem just gets knocked and knocked and knocked, right? I think it's so interesting because I've spoken and I like chill with people who have had both sides uh, where they've grown up with the diagnosis of ADHD and because of that, they've been on, on meds from early, they've always had the extra time in class, they can explain what's happening with that. But because of that, they've almost felt a bit ostracised, where it's like, you know, I'm different, there's something that, you know, I need extra help, I'm not like everybody else. And then that has an ongoing effect on how you feel and relate to people. But then the flip side, and more so of what I've experienced, is not having the words for what was going on and just very much internalising it. Like, why can't I just concentrate like everybody else? You know, why can't I sit still? Why are my emotions so intense? And then kind of internalising that to be a problem with yourself. So then when you get the diagnosis, having to unpick and remember all the times you've been chastised or chastised yourself and say, that wasn't my fault there's actually something that's causing this. So it's really hard on both sides, actually. And listening to people in authority, a teacher that says mm. tells you that you're you know, bad or you're not doing it right or whatever, like that stuff, mm. especially as a child, I think the younger you are, presumably, the more of a trauma that becomes, right, and forms the way that you're going to learn in the future. Yeah, and how like confident you feel to try and fail because if you're constantly being told that oh you know you're not a plat everyone it's just so amazing how similar everyone's story is you know report cards intelligent but doesn't apply themselves they're not committed lazy it's like ah <laughs> it's not laziness but that's what it's brassed as so yeah I think you really hold on to that narrative and it's really hard to just let it go. Um, even after you get the diagnosis, it's really difficult. Which is why I suppose it's really important and your work is so, so important in spreading the awareness. Because if we can get that awareness through as many, not just clinicians and educators, but parents and aunties and uncles and all that, you know, everyone who surrounds that that child. Yeah. You know, you'll bust those stigmas and, and kind of change the dialogue, right? That's your... Exactly. And I think it's... We talk about it in the group a lot, that it's about misneeds. Often people look at the person and they'll use words like, oh, you're lazy. 
which by definition is someone unwilling to work or unwilling to do something. But people with ADHD are not unwilling to do the work. It's a difficulty because of you know, a neuro difference. So not having the need met of, okay, do I need a body double or do I need someone to help me write out the tasks one by one, not having that then equates to not having the support you need to get by. So I think, Mm. yeah, the more people know it's not laziness, it's not them just being like a water mitty. It's actually, they don't have the support that they need. They don't have the, the buffering. Although when I got diagnosed, I remember my mum, like after digesting it for a bit, rang me and was like, so just remembering when we went out in Brighton once shopping and you were in a filthy mood. And now I realise that at the time I thought it was because I was really bugging you. And now I realise it was just your ADHD. And in my head, I'm going, no, you were really bugging me. (laughs) It's not always the way. Actually, it's not everything. But, you know. Sometimes I'm just a bitch. Like, that's it. Sometimes I'm on my period. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I mean, yeah, that's like another, that's a whole other clusterfuck, isn't it? I mean, so obviously you and I have had, I think, similar experiences of like the early education years. But how do you feel that the intersections of race and gender have played out in your experience, particularly kind of early years? In terms of masking, I think being a young black woman um, and my family are from Nigeria, so of Nigerian heritage, I think... Yeah, I had to mask. <laughs> Absolutely had to mask. We came from like a really Christian background. My mum is super neat, super organised. So there was no room to be messy. Like you just, you don't want that. And then in terms of like losing and forgetting things, I would just have to do like complete extra steps. I remember so many times when I knew I forgot something on the bus, having to get the bus down to the last stop and just kind of wait and hope that I would find it. <laughs> so yeah, I think there was a lot of masking, you know, being young and being a young black woman that what I was doing was wasn't seen in the same way that other people would see it so you know when I was getting really emotional and upset in school that was immediately seen as anger management so that was what was sent you know I've now had a psychologist help me deal with my anger but actually now that I look back if they had gotten to the root of the problem I actually felt really unsafe in school you know there was a lot of bullies uh, you know we weren't in the best area and trying to manage and look after myself resulted in outbursts but all they saw was oh my god she's so angry so I think even those types of tropes were you know as early as being 13 14 were being pushed around yeah so I think it's really really hard and I think in the black community in general and there's limited conversations around neurodiversity and things like ADHD mental health in general or things associated with mental health aren't always spoken about and it's shifting now there's a lot more conversations but growing up a lot of it is hush hush you know people don't wash their dirty laundry outside so there wasn't really space to say oh you know I have this or what what does this look like oh this sounds like it it was just you know don't lose things don't be forgetful stop focus put your head down there wasn't a language around it which was Mm. really tough and presumably like isolating enough as it is right having ADHD but maybe having another layer of that yeah in terms of obviously having your diagnosis while you were doing your undergrad. Did that diagnosis come with, right, these are the adaptations that you're going to need to make in order to get through, you know, this next bit of your learning process? They didn't necessarily... To be honest, I don't feel like ADHD was given as much attention as it should have because some of my friends, that when they did their master's and they have an ADHD diagnosis, they had stuff like within exams, they have space to get up and move around. You know, they can do it in, in smaller rooms with less people, which I was like, oh, that sounds great. But I didn't really get that. I kind of had the standard 25% extra, what else did we get? And then equipment, 
but a lot of the equipment was kind of geared towards the dyslexia. But actually, the kind of read and write dragon type softwares to you know read stuff aloud or to to highlight text which helps with concentrating and focus those are really useful actually but what I think I would have really really appreciated would be a kind of education specialist who knew about ADHD and could give specific tools to study with ADHD because what I found is the study tools were quite generic so I think that's something that's lacking in in the education system. And what about like the kind of pastoral side of it as well? Like, do do you have support going through all of that stuff? Not really. You can kind of go through, or you can apply for counselling within um, higher education, but often it's about kind of mental well-being, mood, anxiety, things like that. There's not really a kind of space where they're like, you can come and speak about how difficult it is to just have to think twice as hard as everybody else or work a little bit longer than everybody else. I don't think it's weird. It's almost like you get it and it's like, okay, we've realised that there is actually something happening and you need help. Okay, good luck. And you're kind of yeah. <laughs> shifted away. But there's no like actual kind of, oh, sorry about that, man. Like, this is mm. tough. Is You kind of have to just say it to yourself. So I think that's lacking as well. But then brilliantly, you've sort of filled that niche with ADHD babes for so many people, right? Yeah, and for myself, genuinely. And, and it's, they amaze me every single time because sometimes I go in and the topic that comes up is something that I didn't even realise was a shared experience. And I already, I just automatically feel better because I'm like, oh my God, it's not just me. Like I'm not just struggling in this thing on my own. Like there's there's a whole community around and then the kind of encouragement and reminding ourselves that we can get through this and it's okay, you're not alone. There's nothing wrong with you. It really does give you a booster to go into these spaces where you're different and to just keep going. So yeah, the community is amazing. So, because it sounds like you've made a lot of the adaptations yourself and you were doing that from a really young age. So what what's the actual kind of qualification or course or how long does it take and stuff that you're doing now it's an 18 month course it's called clinical associate in psychology adult mental health and the adaptations they've given me that have been wonderful is a two-week standard extension which i've needed every single time literally so great and it's just made my life so much easier i had a study skills person as well but again i think i struggled to engage because I, i felt like i needed to be more specific so do you mean that those people who support, are they kind of, they're well-versed in neurodivergence or neurodifference in general, but not specific to your ADHD and how it presents? I even find it hard to see how it's neurodiverse inclined. Feel, or maybe I just don't know, but it felt very generic. Okay, for example, you know, if the question says discuss X, Y, Z, discuss means da, 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 if it's asking you to compare. Like some of the stuff I find useful that I remember from before is kind of do the 30 minutes, 15 minute break type Pomodoro type technique. And that actually worked for me when I first heard it. And then later on heard that that's good for neurodivergence. So the Pomodoro is that so that's where you work for 30 minutes, but you set a timer for a 15 minute break. Is that right? Yeah, so it can vary depending on the person. But the idea is that you set a timer for how long you intend to work and then you take a break and then you you repeat that cycle for as long as you need. But why I find it helpful and a lot of other people do is the initial tasks starting is very difficult, like task initiation. So having a timer makes it feel more contained. It doesn't, the task just feels mammoth 
but sometimes when you start it doesn't it isn't mammoth but it feels it so getting the timer means all right boom i've got five minutes i'm gonna slap this out and even if i just do five minutes then that's okay it's better than zero mm. and then often you'll find once you get into this flow you can slip into hyper focus or you just realize it's not as difficult as it felt what does your break look like like what's a good a good break for me cute little stretch <laughs> burning some incense getting a cup of tea sometimes I just look out the window mm. be a nosy neighbour see what's happening but yeah I think a little bit of movement a bit of hydration maybe a snack sometimes when I do longer breaks I might slap on an episode of Rick and Morty just something something to like distract the brain yeah yeah and and get a like a little boost of stimulation presumably like if you're feeling a bit mm. like <laughs> exactly I'm so excited to announce that this podcast is sponsored by the first makeup brand I ever bought as a teenager, Benefit Cosmetics. I saved up for Benetint for weeks and that love remained strong when I became a beauty editor years later. Roller Lash is my absolute favourite mascara of all time. Gimme Brow Plus and Precisely My Brow are my go-to brow products and I still use Benetint on the daily. Makeup is something I reach for to give myself a moment to ground, to breathe and be in my own thoughts for a minute just like my own personal form of meditation that happens to help make me feel fierce. Benefit has remained a mainstay in my own routine for more reasons than one. I love the way Benefit connects customers with amazing causes and today is amplifying various voices around neurodivergence. I'll be working with Benefit, not just on the podcast, but they've also asked me to explore how the Benefit counter experience can be more accessible to those with brains a bit like mine. I'll be sharing the ways we're working together and would love to hear your thoughts on this too. I still can't believe I'm launching Is It My ADHD with my OG beauty obsession at the heart. I can't even imagine going back into learning now because I think university, I mean, it feels it was a hell of a long time ago now, but also university really shook me up because I was like I thought you know I got I got a certain number of A's and stuff in the past and stuff like how can I not do this I don't understand what this snap was to I think it's being independent but also just even some of the language and stuff I was like no you've completely lost me I don't understand what's happening um but how so what do you think are the main differences between the way that you learnt as like let's talk sort of GCSE age compared to how you learn now with this like obviously very very focused course I think the main difference was the kind of structures around you or around me in secondary school during GCSEs. You know, it's very black and white. Like, read the paper, remember these words and write it when we ask you a question with different words. But it's basically the same information. <laughs> yeah. So I think that accommodating of you just need to learn the content and also you're in a class where the teacher tells you this and everything's very clear in black and white and you're in a classroom full of people who are doing the exact same thing as you so if you're struggling you can just go and ask them it's almost like automatic body doubling and then you don't need to think about how do I you know relate this to the wider context or how do I do that you just need to do what they've told you to do it's very black and white and simple and that whole kind of breaking down tasks into smaller bits that doesn't happen quite automatically if you have difficulties with executive functioning it takes all of that stress away they've given it so you just go step by step which often we can do and we can do it really well so I think once it got to college and higher education where they're like here you go bye it was just a mess 
that was the tough part, like having to independently manage your time, prioritize, and also the distractions, because I genuinely liked what I was learning. Sometimes I'd get stuck just reading about something that is no longer to do with this question, but it was really interesting. And I can't put that in the essay, so I'm going to get a D. When you get to higher education, it is very actually individualistic and, you know, the independence is great, but the only time we kind of work collaboratively is when you do that one-off group presentation that every degree does. Which has its own challenges, right? I think the interesting thing about further education, and I I haven't really like got that until you've just said it, but is that when you're at school, it's also just, it's recall, isn't it? It's like, how well can you memorise this? But it's not, and it's from one source, which actually is a bit scary because it, you know, that's putting a lot of pressure on that person who's teaching you to teach you the right stuff, right? Like it's very prescriptive. But university and anything, it's about critical thought, looking at different sources, but having that critical thought when you're even looking at them. Like, how? How? Yeah. How did you deal with that? Right. So I remember my AS was really, really bad. And then from there, I started going to the library with my friends in a group. That was too quiet. So we started going to like local libraries where there were spaces where you could still chat in between. And I actually found that really helpful because then I could distract them. They could distract me. Then we can get back to work. So that was super helpful. I think, yeah, just creating a general structure having some kind of regular, okay, on Tuesdays, me and my friends go to library, then at least I started to get a bit more to grips with what was happening. Because other than that, I was just showing up to class like, oh, what is this again? And having to whisper to people like, oh, what was last week's homework? It was just just a mess. And uh, you mentioned body doubling as well. And obviously you like to work in groups. Is that something that's really helped, you know, since you kind of got diagnosed and and had that self-awareness? Absolutely. Body doubling, I think, is my top, in my top three top three things of that yeah helps me manage and get through life there's something about having someone there that you know even if you're not doing the same thing we should explain in case anyone listening doesn't know about body doubling how 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 would you define your use of it i would say body doubling is setting a designated time with somebody either physically or virtually where you both you both work on something together. You, you know, take breaks as and when. Um, but the idea is that you're almost holding each other accountable by sharing this time to get through this task or piece of work. If you could go back to your school environment and talk to the people around you who were educating, so talk to your primary school teachers, maybe your head teachers, the people that were looking after you, like what would you say to them about the experience and how it could have been, you know, different? Firstly getting to the root of a problem prevents numerous other problems in the future. It's almost like within the education system, because of the lack of resources and lack of funding, a lot of it is kind of putting out fires and putting plasters over big bruises. I would like to have said, you know, I just wish that someone would have taken a little bit more time to find out what was going on. And I think also the difficulty is there's this ableist idea that if somebody's getting good grades, then they can't have a disability. I wish it would have been a little bit more engagement, a little bit more curiosity, a bit of an open mind. So I think so many more people could be supported. I could have been a lot better supported if I had known. Yeah, so I think just have an open mind, be more curious. But it's unfortunate because there's not enough resources. So often people might want to, but they don't have enough funds to bring in an educational specialist to to do that assessment. So I guess, again, it's a wider government issue that the school system's not being funded appropriately. 
yeah so it's kind of tough I mean I my daughter's now in school and obviously like I look at the way that they're set up and it's it's so different it's so different I don't know how different it is to when you're at school because obviously I'm I'm so much older than everyone here right now but um I think they're as joyous about those challenges as they are about the rudiments of what they have to get through with the curriculum Mm. but it's amazing to see and I think it's really there's like hope there that actually the stuff that we went through probably will be like a distant memory at some point and that those educators are kind of phased out at this point and that the awareness is just better isn't it god I hope I hope so too and to be honest I think you're right I think it's quite a few of my friends are in teaching and you know one of them you know she really pushes for them to do oh, she's got ADHD as well um she really pushes for um her young people to do meditation in classes and talk about like emotions and you know how do you create a bubble around yourself to protect your emotions and your energy and I'm just like oh like that's so wonderful it is and also just like things like on a really basic level, because the first thing that people said to me when I said, oh, I've just you know been diagnosed with ADHD is like, oh, you should get a fidget toy. And I'm a bit like, no, it's not. It's not for me. However, that said, you know, uh, my kids school is overflowing with them. And actually, for some of those kids, it's making a huge difference. And there's no stigma or difference because every single one of those kids, whatever their status, wants one of them. Do you yeah, know what I mean? It's, it's just fun now. It's <laughs> just fun. And it's kind of it's it's a really lovely thing to see that actually we're coming to a point hopefully with these generations that look beyond the stigma and stuff of it and just like oh yeah well we've all got something that's a bit different and that it's a beautiful thing yeah and that's a beautiful thing because you know those little colorful ones like they're selling them in corner shops yeah yeah yeah. the last thing I think I want to ask you is learning as you're learning now and obviously looking at psychology as a subject like how does that kind of inform the way that you feel like you'll take that knowledge on and obviously you've already set up ADHD babes and that's been a really important way of kind of getting information and awareness out there how does all that come together to kind of overcome what we've just discussed really like I'm a true believer in start where you are and I've got so much love for grassroots organizations and just collectives of people that want to make a difference like those are the people that inspire me the most so sometimes I start small so it could be just being in a referrals meeting and, you know, hearing the context of we're short on resources. This person said that they want an ADHD referral, for example, but they've got a master's and kind of quietly waiting and being like, you can have ADHD and have a master's. Um, do you know what I mean? Just slowly chipping away, you know, picking up when people might be able. It's, it's often not purposeful. Often people have these subtle internal beliefs and that's kind of the whole concept of microaggressions in general that it's rooted in a deep belief that we don't often challenge because we don't yeah, yeah do you know what I mean it's below the surface so yeah I think it's it's tapping away at those things trying to make things more accessible within the services I'm at but then in terms of how I work in a one-to-one space uh, trying to think about bringing in that question so we're because we're a new service we're creating mm. assessment forms yeah yeah it should be cool it's a new population health approach to mental health so it's called like a neighborhood team so the idea is that rather than just like have this a psychology team and have a you know nursing team it's a blended team so there's professionals from all different aspects so everyone could input into somebody's care so yeah we were doing an assessment form and uh, one of the suggestions I made was to include a question where we say you know do you relate to any neurodiverse condition so that we can start thinking about that right from the assessment stage and then even within my own kind of practice I know that there's people I work with that, I, you know, if they need online support because 
you know, being in person and sitting in a room isn't great, then that's fine. Um, and actually what I want to start doing once COVID leaves us alone is to start doing things outside, you know, going into community spaces and having sessions there. If we can do sessions where we're literally taking a walk, you know, so that it's not, it doesn't have to be sitting in a room. We're not all Freud. Like, you know, psychology can be whatever it needs to be. So I think just trying to approach mental health interventions in a way that's actually suited around people and you know it doesn't have to be completely unconventional but just not the same and then with ADHD babes just to continue cultivating a space that kind of is is like led by what people have said they want and is inclusive and is open to feedback because I think that's often how there's such a huge divide between services and the community because they're over here doing stuff and that sometimes they're doing stuff based on research but then the people they are trying to support that might not actually agree with the research or maybe the research doesn't, you know, relate to them. A lot of the ADHD studies are, you know, you look at the population of the participants and they're all white men. So (laughs) white women aren't included, Asian men aren't included, Asian women aren't included, black folk aren't, do you know what I mean? So it might be good for them and it might not be good for these, these people that have been missed. So I think just trying to hear constant feedback and open up doors and just be curious where possible because we don't have all the resources in the world. But if it can just be a small adaptation, that can actually have a world of difference. So really glad I'm able to, I guess, draw it into my work and also do it in my kind of community spaces. It's a nice little hybrid. But also what's interesting about that is that that's not just about your clinical learning that's about your experience as a human and as a human who's experienced ADHD and and dyspraxia and dyslexia so your learning has been massively massively shaped by just your experience in life outside of the classroom right yeah absolutely that's the interesting thing and it's when I think of how I've managed I've managed this last master so much better (laughs) so much better than my undergrad and the masters before that was so much better than my like it's progressively got better and I can't say it's solely because of you know doing educational tips or doing you know little hacks it's literally it's been a whole kind of lifestyle change of okay I need to exercise regularly I need to meditate every day I need to be around people that are really supportive I need to have regular body doubles I need to go to therapy it's been a whole like what when I improved different aspects of my life in general it meant creating routines around education was a lot easier so it's yeah they almost they they pave into each other I was gonna say and you're an adult right so like when you're a kid like the amount that you're expected to to manage and do (laughs) I mean even with all those instructions and support like you said from primary school teachers it just it seems like such a weird way around to do education that you start so young with so few tools Mm -hmm. and I mean GCSE what like you're 15 that's not a good place is it to be like you I mean self-discipline for one thing which obviously is so important so it's amazing to watch you now and saying like, I mean, you're on your second master's. Yeah, somehow. <laughs> That's incredible. You know, absolutely incredible for you to have got to a point where you're doing your second master's and you feel secure in that process. And like, I mean, that's like growth. And I can see the difference. There's definitely, there were still parts where I was like, I'm going to quit. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and I'll tell people, I'm, like, I'm going to quit, guys. No, no, it's enough. But then because I have now been able to talk about it, then people can convince me and talk me down. Okay, I was really, really emotional and I was going to make an impulsive decision. Cool. But again, it's like that, the overlap is amazing because learning how to, communicate and realize when I'm overwhelmed and use people as a resource to help that I didn't really have that before so it was harder I might say I'm dropped I've dropped out and then not go to lectures for a week and then it's even harder to get back on so yeah they really like life and education really does overlap and I, I feel like that 
actually needs to be spoken about more because not even just with neurodiversity you know if you're working class or you're working part-time you know while you're trying to manage education and you're also looking after kids and you're disabled there's so many things you're trying to juggle while studying and you know yeah it's not in a vacuum so there's so many overlaps that make it extra difficult so that's why yeah support and understanding really can improve the experience My, I, I know i said final question but one final 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 question is your singing and writing music how does that play into your like sense of peace and stuff around when you you've got so much going on how does that kind of fit into everything else I think my music is like my happiest place in the world. Um, so it's like, I, I can't divorce myself from doing the music. So it's almost like that's what I do and that's who I am. But to fund that and to survive that, I have to do things that like bring income. But yeah, it's almost like a, a refresher. So like when I've been stressed or things are really difficult, having a, a reminder that oh, I've got a gig in a week or... I'm going to go to the open mic. It's just, yeah, it gives life a vava voom. Like it makes it feel worth it. Amazing. I wish I could do some of those things <laughs> for that same reason, but it sounds very, very different when I sing to when you sing, I tell you. <laughs> that's okay. I feel like singing is for the person. And if other people like it, then that's a bonus. But if you like it, then that's the main thing. That's lush. <laughs> oh, Vivian, thank you so, so much for so generously sharing your experiences and also for the amazing work that ADHD Babes does out in the world. I think like we all know how important and vital it is, particularly at this moment in time where we're like tipping into the conversation hopefully a bit more yeah i can't wait to see what happens next thank you thank you for having me it's been such a pleasure thanks vivian Yay! <laughs> we now turn to an expert now i feel very lucky to welcome dr joe steer to the podcast she is a chartered clinical psychologist working with children in Surrey and the author of Understanding ADHD in Girls and Women, which has become my Bible. Joe, on the theme of education, we were wondering, is it my ADHD when I struggle with coursework but ace exams? Wow, I think this is a, a really good question, actually. And I think it comes down to that unpredictability that comes with ADHD. And actually, I feel like perhaps the only predictable thing about ADHD is the fact it's so unpredictable. <laughs> um, and so I think it's really hard to generalise. But on, on some days, I feel like maybe for some young people, exams might go really well. And on other days, it could be quite the opposite. And it feels like there's, it's, it can be such a mixed bag then. But um, sometimes the hyper-focus, of ADHD can actually really pay off on exam day if you're in a subject that really captures your interest and you're really engaged and you are in hyper-focused mode then perhaps actually you might really be able to do well but I think it's also important to acknowledge that some some young people definitely will find that they're really distractible, not able to focus, not able to kind of plan out their answers and how to structure their time. And so exams might be really quite difficult for them. And it can be really confusing, I think, for young people, but also for parents and teachers that suddenly the grades are, are really different from what they were expecting. And it could go either way, though. But I think also, I guess I wanted to say that coursework can be quite challenging for young people where you've got to particularly when it's over time and you've got to do little bits because we know actually if you have ADHD you're much more likely to put it off do it at the last minute and actually when it's a big project you need to invest quite a bit of time and energy that can really not work out well 
However, similarly, I have met young people who are really interested in their artwork, for example, and they once they're hyper-focusing on their art coursework over time, they can produce some absolutely amazing creative results. So yeah, it does feel like a really mixed bag. And actually, so there's, there's, there's kind of, you know, more of a specific to each person, each individual as to whether it's coursework or exams that are easier. There's no kind of hard and fast rule, is there? I think so, yeah. And even within an individual, I feel like there might be some days or times when it goes better than others. Thank you so much for joining me and this community of amazing people. We'd love it if you could follow Is It My ADHD wherever you get your podcasts from. And now I'd love to hear from you. What other perspectives would you like to see explored in future episodes? Find me on Instagram at Is It My ADHD to continue the conversation. <laughs>